Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert Rand, your host for the day. I'm joined with uh, with me here uh, with uh, AJ and Megan from Praxis Metrics, uh, our gracious guests of the day. They're going to be talking with us about your e-commerce analytics. And, and if you're really listening to them, if you understand what's going on under the hood of, of your site, how pe- folks are interacting with your site or not. Um, and so... Uh, AJ, Megan, would you care to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm AJ. I'm Megan. <laughs> of Praxis Metrics. And Robert, thanks for having us so much. We're excited to be on with you guys and share some of our uh, experience, wisdom, and you know, uh, pains we've overcome for e-commerce uh, owners and marketing teams. Yeah. So we're, we're both uh, co-founders of Praxis Metrics, which is basically an outsourced data team. So we work with a lot of scaling companies, especially in e-commerce or digital marketing space that are looking to get to that next level. And obviously, in order to scale, you have to know where you've been. In order to you know, take action, you really have to know what action to take. And so you know, as data becomes more and more relevant in the business space, it's opened a lot of challenges for business owners that aren't necessarily uh, data-minded. And so that's where we come in. And we've built out kind of an entire team of data scientists, dashboard engineers, ETL builders, uh, just so that we can have those resources available so that smaller companies don't have to hire somebody full-time in order to do that right off the bat. Yeah, we're here to make sure you know, make sure the business owners understand that they don't have to be a mathematician. They don't have to be a data scientist. It's okay if you failed math class. There is hope, right? We we are here to help support them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I this week's news talked a lot about Target, and uh, you know they've had some wins. Uh, stock prices looking good. Uh, you know, new collaborations with companies like Disney, uh, but they're known to really work their their data well. And I, I think for a lot of business owners, it's hard to sometimes think about competing with how uh, big business uses big data, uh, but. You know, just like everything else in the e-commerce world and uh, in the technology world, things continue to funnel down. So certainly, uh, you know, looking forward to this conversation. But before we get too far into data, tell me a little bit about how this partnership started. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it started personally first. Uh, We were introduced through mutual mutual friends, mutual colleagues, mutual... uh, Several. Yeah, yes. several. They were and trying to get us to date for, for a little while there. And then the universe stepped in and said, yes, this is going to happen. So, <laughs> so we were we were put in each other's paths multiple points in life and uh, ended we, up we dating. We in Austin, Texas. So that's Austin. where we live. That's where we're home-based. But uh, And then uh, started dating first and foremost. And we were in very different businesses. Uh, AJ ran a digital marketing agency. And I ran I was, I was running a, a sales consultancy. So we, we both worked with data um, in different ways. Um, obviously, in the marketing space, it's all about numbers, right? It's, you're, you're constantly complete, competing with historical numbers. You're constantly split testing and changing efforts based on the results. And so AJ had this unique mindset. And he's always, he, his dad was an engineer. So yeah. he was always data-driven, um, but not necessarily in the data, not that kind of nerd, <laughs> yeah. the nerd who knew how to take action from the data. Yeah, I, I dabbled in it mm-hmm. growing up. I had to do the Excel stuff, but yeah, I just quickly found that that was not my strong suit. But that was his his founder mentality, always understood the value of data. And so in the, in the marketing agency, they had a lot of, um, they were responsible for building out all of these reports for their clients, right? Um, so we met and shortly thereafter, I, I started understanding what he did and I wanted to learn his industry. So I came on board with his uh, agency 
just to learn the marketing space. It wasn't something that I was familiar with at all. And and then we joined forces there. And what we quickly found was that as, as a marketing agency, um, it was extremely important to know our numbers, both internally and for our clients. And one of our clients was or one of our team members was reduced down to basically report generation, where he was, you know, from nine to five, logging into 27 different systems for 27 different clients, and then pulling out the important pieces, putting it into a spreadsheet. And then there was this, you know, 27 tab spreadsheet, where it was just built on, built on, built on itself, and then macroed the heck out of itself. And, and basically, his, his, skill set in marketing was being dwindled because he was spending so much time in data entry. As right? opposed to his genius zone, where he should have been is been spending. So how many companies out there are wasting that kind of that kind resource. of talent or resource on their team just because they understand how to do it? That doesn't mean they should be with it. Or there's there's lots of ways to go about that. So mm-hmm. or they're throwing in the towel. They just you know don't have the resource at all to put in that level of uh, uh, of effort to get at their data. Even though all these systems, by and large, have APIs, the data can be intertwined uh, and really tell the story better. So that's really interesting. Well, and it's, it's it's fascinating because you say you know, and a lot of us know what APIs are and the integrations between systems, but but very few people understand how you can really leverage those to extract all of the data, not just push certain things from one platform to another, but to extract all of your data so that you have a backup, so that you own the data, and then you can manipulate that data and tell a story by combining it with all of the other system data. And when you're saying all, just to be clear, it's not just sales and marketing. It's customer service, it's inventory, it's all the other problems, all the other business questions you're trying to answer as a whole. We pull that into a command center so you can make your decisions all from one place. Mm-hmm. Solves a lot of problems that e-commerce companies are facing right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> it seems that you've made a pretty good leap from the agency space in, into data and analytics being at the, at the forefront of what you do. And the agency that, you know, that you're now running uh, around that, Praxis Metrics, how did you two come to that name? Oh, the oh, name. name. Oh, oh wow. that's a good one. So, Nobody ever asked yeah, about, that. Like, <laughs> about that. Actually. Yeah, we love that. Um, that's something we need to add back on the website, yeah, we do. actually. So, actually, it was, it was Megan's real brainchild. When we were developing this concept, we knew the business we wanted to get into. We knew we wanted to be world-class in business and let go of the marketing stuff. So, like, like other agencies can do that. We're going to be great at this. And double down on this. And so we're coming up with names and go ahead. Yeah. So there's, so we love Aristotle. We love, you know, the, the foundational truths. <laughs> and so he has uh, this theory that, or there, he says there's three main constructs of man. There's uh, theory, which is, you know, thinking about things. Then there's peoria, which is then, you know, using those things to, you know, kind of combining them together. And then there's, Praxis, which is the practical application of the knowledge that you've built on the information that or on the theories that you've uh, idealized, right? So praxis, the reason that we were really drawn to that is because it's the practical application of knowledge. And, and a lot of people have heard there's kind of like a stair step. Data leads to information, which leads to knowledge and then to wisdom. And data in and of itself will never solve a company's problems because data is isolated. Data is independent. Data is individual little pieces. But in business, there's no such thing as one piece of data. Everything is impacted and and influenced by other aspects in the business, by things in the economy, by the weather, by, you know, productization, by marketing, right? Uh, We run this 
very complex business in this world today. And, and a lot of people just don't realize that data is just a piece of that, but data in and of itself is not the answer. We have to take that and look at all of the data combined in order to find relationships and patterns between the data. That's where we really start to be able to know more, right? And then once you know more, then you can understand, you know, the principles that guide these patterns, right? Why things are happening instead of just what is happening. It's how, it's why, it's when, right? It becomes much deeper knowledge, but just knowledge in and of itself will not change your organization. You have to take action. And so with every single metric, with every single dashboard that we build out for that we build out for clients, our goal is not to just build them for the sake of knowledge. Oh, well, that's a nice to know. We call those vanity metrics. You know, just because you know it, why does it matter? If it's just stored in your head and it doesn't change the way that you behave, the actions that you take to move your company forward, what's the point? It's like saying that you have a conversion rate of 3% or 10% that number all by itself doesn't really tell you anything if you don't understand where it came from, where it's going, what's impacting it. Uh, what was it last month? What was it yeah. What was it this time last year? What have you done in the interim? Where was the highs? Where was the lows? What was, you know, and, and people always do averages. Organic traffic, uh, paid traffic, you know, social traffic. What is it from different channels, from referrals? Uh, I, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, we find so, people, so many people don't really break down the data. Yeah. And exactly. so they're, they're, they're habitualized, right? They're looking at these numbers because, oh, everybody, everybody looks at the, these numbers. It's important to know that. But why? If you're not taking action off of it, then A, it's just cluttering, you know, and then you're doing paralysis by analysis or maybe not even analyzing at all. And so what we do is we like to challenge the status quo and the norm by asking those secondary and tertiary questions. You know, so what? What now? What, what are you going to do off of that? Why is it this way? And then it really starts to dig into, okay, well, maybe that is just a leading indicator, but the details around it should be these three other metrics that then you can take actions off of, right? And so everything that we do with our clients, it's really, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of people come to us and ask for one thing. And, and by us sitting down and doing what we call metrics mapping, asking these next level questions and, and really seeing, well, what action are you taking from that? So what? If it's 3% today and 10% tomorrow, what yeah. would you do? And who's going to do it? And, and what, what are, what's your net profit on, you know, a certain category that's performing better or worse? What's, you know, does it really matter as much if you've got a higher conversion rate on really cheap items with really tight margins versus uh, a slightly lower conversion rate on big ticket items where you make most of your revenue, uh, you know, most of your profit? There's, yep. there's so much in there that uh, that just the base numbers don't tell. And, you know, I was reading a, a quote off of some of your materials, one that I had not seen before by a gentleman. Uh, I, I actually wrote this one down, Dan Ariely, um, yeah. that, that got a, a big smile on my face. But, you know, so you have quoted, uh, data is like teenage sex. Everyone talks about it. No one knows how to really do it. Everyone thinks that everyone else is doing it. So everyone claims that they're doing it. <laughs> and I, I thought that was fantastic. I hadn't seen that before, but there's obviously an amount of truth in that, um, that people aren't, they have some idea of what's going on. They know some numbers. They're not just, you know, 
turning on a website and completely walking away from their e-commerce business and not knowing what their revenue looks like or how certain things compare, but they don't necessarily understand the why and they're not necessarily able to discern action items out of it, at least not the right ones. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know that your team talks a little bit about uh, a data maturity spectrum and um, you know, how do you identify where a merchant fits on that spectrum and where they should be uh, investing into the business where your team can be helpful in order to advance them to those next stages? So I'm going to take a little side tangent because you said a perfect word that I want to like dive <laughs> into. You said invest into this, right? Um, it's fascinating right now, actually just in the last couple of months, data just became the most valuable resource on the planet. It just surpassed oil as the most valuable resource on the planet. Data is not going anywhere. Data is king right now because I mean, if you think about it, the person who has more information is always going to win. If you know why something is happening and your competitor doesn't. Yep. That's the, it is the new competitive advantage. It is it's taking action on data, mm-hmm. right? Taking action well, on accurate data. So, you know, I, I'm sitting in South Florida where we're currently uh, expecting a hurricane uh, for Labor Day weekend. And I know that, you know, stores like Target are already shipping in pop tarts, not just bottled water or batteries and flashlights and the things that you expect on that hurricane checklist, but they know exactly which items are, are going to be sold in higher quantities, what they're going to be ro- running low on in advance of any run on, on their shelves. Yep. Data is powerful. Uh, and we all understand that companies or, or I hope so, at least the companies like Google and Facebook that they're, you know, they're not search companies. They're not social media companies. They're data companies. That's where they make their money. It's, <laughs> it's in our data, yep. um, mm-hmm. but bringing that power down, um, to the SMB uh, mid-market and, and even small and medium enterprise, the folks that can really, you know, across the spectrum leverage the data, uh, I, I think is phenomenally impactful. And, you know, mm-hmm. in, in of Amazon, I love to see businesses take advantage um, of the information that's at their fingertips. Yeah, that's a big part of our mission. I mean, we're, we, everybody hears about big data. They hear about all the political things going on with data. They hear about all the privacy things going on with data. So there's a lot of talk about data. But we're here to let everybody know, look, big data is here and now. It's not just reserved for the big enterprise companies, right? It's way more affordable now. Tools have gotten cheaper and teams and people have gotten smarter. We're here to say you can get a fraction of that big data that those huge companies have and absolutely hockey stick your hockey stick growth your company that much faster. So that it is here now, but it's 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 finding out what are those bright metrics that your business needs right now. Not the so everybody's also getting marketed to a lot by data. There's billboards up all the time now that are really weird, really dumb messages that are out there that have nothing to do with like I, th- I just think people don't know how to market data right now, but. It's, it's, it's changed the game and it's a conversation everybody's having. We just want to make sure that people know which conversation to have and where to start. Yeah, and that comes back to your question on data maturity. See, full circle. We it's get coming. back to it. <laughs> so when it comes to data maturity, it's very easy to identify where a company is in the spectrum of data maturity because it's, it's very black and white. You know, in, in the very first level, it is all about tracking. We cannot analyze data if you don't have data. Right. And so um, 
Sorry. So if you don't have data, yeah. that is important. If, uh, if you don't have the tracking in place in your systems, that is important. So usually phase one people or companies are all about tracking. That is their main focus right now. Now, they may not have the data team or the dashboards or the technologies in order to combine the data and turn it into a dashboard or whatever, but they just need to track. So that's where a lot of people skip. So if we're thinking companies from 1 million to 20 million, those companies should really, really be focused on tracking as much as they can. Because like AJ said, data isn't everything. And all of our little minute systems are all tracking things on the back end, right? We've got Facebook data, Google Analytics data. So it, let's just talk on Google Analytics. It's a powerful free tool. And yet 90% of companies, 99% of companies that come to us do not have it set up properly to track all of the relevant parameters that they want and need in their business. And so they come to us and they say, here's the questions that we have, the real business questions that will needle move our company into the next level. And then we break that down and we say, in order for us to answer this question, we need variables X, Y, and Z, and you're not tracking those. <laughs> and they don't exist. You've never pushed that button to turn on that field or had a naming convention to have that organized. And so we now have to go back and turn this on and get you to start tracking this in order for us to get this, but it's going to now need to start tracking and then we'll get two months of data in two months, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have all this historical valuable story from years and years of being in the business because they just didn't have that turned on. <laughs> there are so many features that take moments to turn on in Google Analytics mm -hmm. uh, specifically that are so impactful. I always love having site search data properly set up so that you know what people are actually searching in the e-commerce site and you know what the conversion rates are um, and you can start to, to tell. It's almost li like knowing if someone walks into a retail store, what are they actually asking for when they walk into that store? Maybe you should be merchandising a little bit differently. Maybe you need to tweak your search feature to actually bring people to the right products for a certain search. There, there's so much you can discern from, from what's going on. Things like uh, demographic data that are really easy to enable or... Um, of course, setting up all the right e-commerce e tracking and funnels, but um, you know, it's just one feature after the next. I can't tell you how many folks I see that don't connect data from Google Search Console, Google Webmaster Tools, where Google is going to give you all sorts of data about what people are actually searching in uh, in Google organically, um, and people that run AdWords that don't have all the right data. Uh, coming over, you know, in, in as well that you know the, the connections between these are meant to be fairly easy, mm -hmm. um, and you know whoever is building and maintaining your site, even if if you need to get some, the proper tracking codes out there, um, we're not talking a lot of time or labor. So it's usually it's not a cost factor, um, especially you know you were just mentioning businesses in the one to twenty million range. Certainly not for those folks. Um, but it's always surprising. <laughs> it, it, it is. is. And, and I think it's so easy these days to start up an e-commerce business, right? You get an idea. You want to get the product out in front of people. First, you want to determine, is this going to work? So people don't necessarily take the time or, or, or even know the value of like, oh, well, let's make sure what we're doing, we're tracking. So you can just kick up a, a store these days and just get going and start taking money. 
there's no requirement for tracking. So it's just kind of like, oh, well, we'll do that later. And that's what everybody thinks. Mm -hmm. but, well, but but you can't. You can't retroactively go and collect data. data. That's just and it. that is like lesson number one. If you don't have a tracking, you need to go get it tracking. And we've got companies that come to us that are doing $250 million in annual revenue. And they come to us and ask these questions. And, and we have to go back to stage one, which is tracking. So it doesn't matter revenue. What it matters is maturity with your yeah, data. The data maturity spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. We can have companies doing 60 to 100 million that are at a higher mature level of revenue, but when it comes to data, they're, 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 they're not. Same thing even with uh, if, you know, and, and this is really fascinating too, is a lot of us think about data and these, in these you know, hard-coded fields within a technology, but there's also some other very like esoteric type things that you can track as well you know so there's a lot of companies now that are doing you know I, one of the big pushes right now is organic content and video well what if from day one of your content production schedule you're tracking things like hey when are, are we dropping humor in this video at what time point in the video are we dropping the humor is there uh is there a feature of this like do we have puppies in this video or what not colors, no puppies male, yeah is male it, or female there are angles, all of these weird all these things, things that all it has to be is in a spreadsheet somewhere where people are like hey video one at six minutes and 15 seconds is where we dropped the you know product launch or whatever right and all of that becomes a database to then pull in in the future and say hey we've done a hundred different videos and here's what's worked and here's why it's worked here's how it's worked and here's what shifted over time with the demographics so here's how we're going to change it right so when it comes to data and tracking um we want people to be creative you know what are the questions that you think you might have in the future that you might not even have today, but that you could start tracking and knowing that in a year or even six months or two months that you'll want to look back at this, right? So that's, go ahead. And I think that one of the interesting points to that is that it's a fraction of the cost of the marketing that these businesses are, are typically engaging in. Yeah. So in order to get the data to know what is actually working and what isn't, um, and to hone that marketing to, you know, stop putting bad money after bad money and focus on on the winners uh, out of the data. It's huge. You know, th that's where you find success. Uh, so, you know, pivoting from that for a moment, uh, how would you or maybe what have you seen as um, as some of those pivotal uh, data uh, metrics or um, you know or analytics that a business can use in terms of scaling rapidly. Have you run into uh, as professionals maybe you know certain data that you were able to discern over time for a business that really helped them to grow significantly? Yes. Definitely, and that leads perfectly into the next stage of data maturity, <laughs> which is, you know, automating these KPIs, right? Defining those KPIs that are that are key performance indicators for the company and then turning that into an automation and that that automatically extracts from all the sources so that you can view these KPIs in real time so that you can make better decisions. So tailoring this to the, you know, kind of the e-commerce division, because there's different KPIs in different industries that that yield that hockey stick growth that AJ's talking about. Mm -hmm. I think in e-commerce, the, the one that's made the biggest, the biggest impact. impact on organizations is having a more robust knowledge and view on customer lifetime values 
and retention insights. Um, so not just customer lifetime value. Like if we look in Shopify or if we look in a lot of our e-commerce platforms, it'll it'll have like an LTV number or a CLV number, or average, or overall. like an average. Summarize it, right? Um, one thing that we always say is averages are inherently evil. <laughs> As a business owner, we don't want to know the average because an average, by definition, takes all of your highs, all of the great things, and all of the terrible things, all of the negatives and smashes them all together into an average. So if we know that our average customer is worth $100, well, that means that at some point, there are customers that are buying $250 worth of goods from us and other customers that are just buying a dollar. I want, as a business, to know where those $250 lifetime value customers are and why we got them and how we got them and what they're purchasing and when they're purchasing. And I want to eliminate all $1 customers. And so what we do is, you know, LTV is a very common metric that most business owners look at or know off the top of their heads. And yet they don't have the depth or the details in the data to show the variances between those highs and the lows. So what we do is we like to cohort it out. Um, A cohort is simply... Most businesses are only getting 30 days or less. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's not just depth of data; it's also the timeline. They're thinking in only in terms of what they're buying in the first thirty days, because a lot of people doing Facebook and everything are only getting that amount reporting. They don't know how to get the rest of it. Yeah, true. And well, so, and they're also, I, you know, from my historical experience, they're looking at last click attribution for everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they really don't know where. Uh, where that shop originated or what got them interested in in the the brand, the store, the product. They just know where the last click came from before someone made a purchase and they attribute the sale to that. Uh, they miss out on the rest of the journey so often. So I, you know, being able to look at the bigger picture and what's influencing these customers, what's bringing them in. I mean, that's where historically, I, I know mobile, uh, conversion rates are absolutely on the rise, but historically, so much traffic has come from a mobile device, sort of, so to speak, for browsing. And then shoppers were purchasing off of desktop, and so everyone just assumed that their mobile conversion rate was extremely low, and they didn't need to invest too much in, into their mobile sites. But you know, today we know better, and you know, people are designing sites to be mobile first. Uh, not just the mobile responsiveness being a secondary or uh, and now we're moving into progressive web apps and entirely, you know, new uh, ways of improving that experience. So, uh, you know, it, it re- is really, really interesting how some of that um, can certainly come together around the, the customer. And the same with, I wouldn't say that segmentation is new, but when you talk about lifetime value, when you identify who your top 5, 10, 20% of customers are, uh, depending on, on your business and the particulars, and you know who's actually bringing you your revenue, you can cater to them. You can do special things there. You can uh, have different touch points that you're not locked in to treat everyone in the exact same way because at the end of the day, that one-time purchaser that you know bought from you a year ago, yeah, you could keep them on your email list, but you don't necessarily need to cater to them the way that you you would your regulars. You know, in a restaurant, they'd have the special table. They'd get whichever waiter or waitress they'd like. You know, just keep coming back every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd, it's funny that I, I know a lot of businesses don't take the time to identify, uh, you know, and, and, and to 
address those shoppers the same way that they would if it, if it was a brick and mortar store and hey hey joe how's it going you know actually build a rapport and make people feel special but it can be impactful and you know last thing you want to do is uh is give up your cash cows mm-hmm. exactly so well, and you touched, well and you touched on the other point that we were going to make is you know attribution aligning attribution with lifetime value is something that pretty like people just aren't doing um, to the depth and to the accuracy that they need to like those two things combined together is leverage. And that is, it's the competitive advantage because most companies are not doing this right if at all. And so if you can do this, if you can align and you can know without a shadow of a doubt that your top customers, the ones that are coming back frequently buying the most they came from this last click attribution, but they also came from this first click attribution. And then here's what they did, everything in between. And I know because like you said, like what if we had this huge campaign that we spent a hundred grand on, but it yielded zero in revenue that day because it didn't have a call to action, but it was a great indoctrination campaign. It had a lot of engagement and people really, really loved that. And they learned about your company through this campaign but they didn't purchase for six months. And then they ended up clicking on this Facebook ad that was retargeted to them six months later, right? It's very important to be able to attribute that or that first touch point all the way back to everything that 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 person purchases for the next 10 years. Because if you knew that the top 10% of your customers all first heard about you from this one podcast that you were on or from this one sponsored content that you did on you know this show or whatever wouldn't you do more of that wouldn't you invest more right and at that point it becomes a simple you become you can print money at this point it's a simple formula you know when i do this this is the outcome every single time and this is and then you just reallocate money it's a you know aj and i talk about how we're in the waste business Hmm. our goal is to eliminate waste, wasted time, wasted money, wasted campaigns, wasted efforts, wasted human resources. All There's so much waste in organizations because nobody knows what is and isn't working. But overall, we're making money. So we're just going to continue so we don't break the wheel. We hear that all the time. And that's like why people come to us is because they're like, I mean, we're, we're doing good, but we don't know how to get to that next level where we can cut out 80% of what we're doing and double down on that 20%, the Pareto's principle of what is working. Mm-hmm. Ah, and you did touch on something that uh, that's near and dear to my brain. <laughs> yeah, the folks that think that every marketing campaign and piece has to really be focused on revenue generation directly, that, you know, that every email has to be uh, a sale or product recommendation or new product or close out, um, you know, that every post on social media, the same. And I do believe in more of a relationship and more of a journey. And, you know, just because something could be seen as a cost center doesn't mean that it's not uh, really impacting in a positive way. So, you know, in retail, you, you go into stores that give you some free coffee or free samples, whatever it is, you know, Trader Joe's or Fresh Market or Costco. Or, um, you could see them giving away product as a cost center, but they know exactly why they're doing that. And, you know, I, I feel like if, you know, businesses can 
properly tell their brand story, their uh, talk about their company culture, what they're doing in their communities and with nonprofits. And uh, there's so much more that you can do to build a relationship with a customer and not just millennials or, you know, not, not just one particular segment, but uh, th- that you can have a brand um, that you can be a destination and, you know, not just uh, a means to an end. Yep. So, mm-hmm. you know, being able to help folks identify the impact that those choices are having on them, that those campaigns are having on them, I, I think is huge because so, so many businesses get caught up in the numbers in terms of revenue and stop thinking about the long game. It's all about the short game. Um, so very, very common issue out there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, how about we segue, uh, a little bit. I, I was hoping we would talk about what e-commerce merchants should be able to ideally answer about their sites, um, and their data. What, uh, you know, if you were coming in just trying to assess what, or maybe where someone is on the spectrum, what they're up to, where they really need some heavy lifting. What are, what are some of the things that you look for or that you would be asking about? Mm, great question. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, looking at the tech stack that you're using, right? How Most companies have at least, I'd say, between 16 to 20 different technologies that they're using for different aspects of running their e-commerce business, Right. I mean, you think about just the social alone and that's six right there. Then you've got all the ads on top of it. Right. There's there's all these different tools that all none of them truly integrate seamlessly with each other. Right. So we first and foremost, when we're evaluating a company, we first look at their tech stack because, you know, the landscape is constantly changing and evolving and some technologies are not staying up with it. Right. And so I, I think, you know, the platforms that you choose you have to be evaluating them when it comes to how they allow you to access your data. Um, the landscape in the last six weeks when it comes to data has changed drastically. I mean, like revolutionary up to this point, it's been the wild, wild west when it comes to data, you know, like GDPR was the very first, um, laws that passed about data regulation. But since then we've seen domino and domino and domino of regulation change as well as platinum, like these different platforms changing. Platform restrictions. Oh my gosh. Data restrictions. And it's It's, not going to stop. Yeah, it's individual platforms are now restricting your use or your access to the data that they collect on your customers. So for example, I mean, the easiest easiest example is really Amazon. Amazon. Like you, you put your... You, you put your product up on Amazon, all of the things that the customer does, it's all collected within the Amazon database, and then they choose what data they send to you, right? It's very, very strict. And, you know, historically, they, they pass through email and they pass through all of these things. In the last couple of weeks, they've shut down and they, they no longer pass through the email, which has it's been a while. Down. Yeah. Um, and then they, now they no longer pass through the shipping address. Now they no longer, like, they're starting to shut down parts of the API so that you as the business owner don't have access to that, right? And we saw that happen with Facebook after the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, so one of the first things that we're evaluating is looking at what, ta- what technologies you've chosen to work with. 
um, because that will allow us to see how much data you're actually going to have access to. You know, we were talking about Magento 1 versus Magento 2. Um, they've deprecated the Magento 1 API. So we've got clients that come to us and they haven't made the change. They have not gotten their roadmap to switch to Magento 2 or to another platform. And so we say we cannot work with you because we do not have access to the historical data. Right, and unless you got back tools this up. That, that are no longer supporting Magento One already is is what you're suggesting. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. That's there's there's yes. I mean, building out an infra infrastructure around data for something that's going to go away is just waste. We yeah, yeah. waste. So that's well, another big thing. And that, there's truth there that you know for something that's been slated for a few years to go end of life, who really wants to now start if they've got new tools, new versions coming out. Um, who wants to backwards engineer that way? I understand prioritization that you're going to go after the the future before you necessarily go after the past. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not enough uh, engineering hours to go around. For In sure. terms of of Amazon, it's very interesting because um, you know on this particular podcast we've talked a lot about them as frenemies. Uh, with merchants that well you know you're pressured to be there because a high percentage of searches for product are happening directly on Amazon as opposed to yeah. Google or anywhere else mm -hmm. and so you don't want to be left out but they're not your customers you can be kicked out cut out um, usurped <laughs> any day of the week and you have very very little recourse um, so it, it's not a very safe place for a merchant. It can bring strong revenue. It can bring good profit, but it also brings danger with it that your customers aren't yours and uh, you know you can lose them, whether it's to someone that, that's uh, creating knockoffs, that's you know creating a you know fraudulent product or um, you know so I've heard all sorts of stories, read all sorts of stories directly and indirectly. Uh, you know, folks that, uh, let's say, you know, they've got a competitor that goes and puts a bunch of fake reviews on their products, they get kicked out. <laughs> and the recourse for something like that, there is no phone number to just call up and straighten it out and, uh, and be right back up and running. In some cases, Amazon historically doesn't even tell you why you've been kicked out, yeah. uh, why you've been suspended. They expect you to figure it out and, and to as it's been described publicly, uh, almost, you know, come to them hat in hand. Uh, <laughs> or it's yeah. just gone like that. Right? Yeah, and or it's I, gone I would forever. extend that the yeah. frenemy, fren, fren, frenemy. frenemy phrase goes with, you know, any platform. Any platform. Right now. Any platform yes. is basically frenemy because if you don't own your data, we're talking about ownership of your data, you don't really have mm. the business. Like I just said earlier, data is the number one asset. If you don't own it, if you don't have your data in a database, yeah, you don't have yours, a backup. You don't yeah. have a backup of it. All of this once that change. pipe is turned off, it's like water from the government, like water from the water place plant. Yeah. It's done. Electricity is turned off. The house shutdown is dark. If you don't have that backup or a generator or something that's been pulling that and extracting it, you're in trouble. So this is a really big, big topic to be talking about. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, um, you know, Big Commerce, who uh, at JetRails we recently partnered with, uh, put out about a week ago a press release talking about how they work with uh, certain industries like CBD, uh, you know, one of the fastest growing, for yeah. sure, categories of, of product in the United States, and how, you know, they have competitors that, that don't work with it, but they're 
um, ready and willing to help those merchants and, and provide resource to them. We've seen something similar in the Magento community where Magento's cloud won't support those, those uh, shoppers. Someone like a JetRails is very happy to. Um, and so we're happy to support those merchants and, and the agencies working with them and um, you know, work with, with the Magento team to make those things happen. And so, you know, it's also interesting that you are still, um, to an extent, at the at the mercy of some of these companies. You know, it's one of the reasons why I've always loved open source software and having more manifest destiny uh, that you can't always predict exactly um, what's going to happen when it comes time for renewal on a certain contract, what terms are going to be presented, when something's going to be deprecated or, uh, you know, or, or removed. So lots and lots of implications, uh, you know, to working with some of these big companies um, and, you know, really not owning, but rather renting or leasing or, or being permitted to <laughs> set up shop in someone else's market, so to speak. Well, and that, I mean, it comes back to that wild, wild west thing. I mean, up to this point, everybody's been so open with the data because it hasn't been a problem. And then there's, you know, there's these big scandals that happen and then everybody reacts and everybody freaks out. And now everything's starting to shut down. Everybody's starting to really think about this data thing in a different spectrum. And so if if you're not taking action right now to collect, store, and back up all of the data that you have had access to up to this point, you know, you're going to be a leg up over everybody else because these things are not going to be available in the future. Uh, like there's just too many scare tactics out there right now where people are just shutting down and they're like, oh, like we actually just read an article about Apple changing Safari um, to completely block cookies after seven days. So every, every all of our- Yeah, they're working on this. Right. It hasn't come yet. Yeah, like they're working on they it for the future there. to be able to like get that to pass. And so, what's going to happen is, you know, historically we had thirty, sixty day cookies where we could see all of this stuff. Now it's going to be seven days. So if you don't have all of that stuff stored and all that historical knowledge, like the the information going back to data, information, knowledge, wisdom, right? You will have knowledge. You will have this like almost like grandfather wisdom against these other companies that just lost all of that and that's gone forever and they've forgotten what worked, what didn't work and all of this data that we do have access to now when it's no longer accessible and we're just flying blind, um, it's going to be even more valuable to have all of that. So, you know, going back to data maturity, you know, the first thing is making sure that you're tracking and then the second thing is making sure that you're backing it up and then you have, and then you can, Take it and you can automate it and you can turn it into deeper insights by asking these questions. Um, and then after that, you can really optimize and you can maximize and really take it to the next level, right? A lot of clients come to us with the goal of, hey, I want machine learning or AI in my business. And we're like, you're not there yet. You know, like, yeah. let's not put the cart before That's the horse. It's much higher up yeah. the data maturity spectrum. Yeah. And sometimes... For better or worse, they're buzzwords. You know, in, in web yes. hosting, a lot of folks ask about AWS, where you know uh, JetRails provides service that we've put folks uh, on AWS infrastructure and, and provide all the management and support on top of it, all the security and uptime, uh, you know, r related tasks and uh, and monitoring and, and what have you. I, but AWS is just another hosting provider. It's just Amazon, as a matter of fact, you know, filling mm -hmm. their coffers. 
Um, we love working with the environment. It's strong, but not everyone needs it. We've got use cases where for certain auto scaling, um, it's fantastic. But for your average merchant that has more predictable traffic, that, uh, that doesn't really need some of those bells and whistles, it's overkill. It's extra oh, sure. expense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily bringing any real ROI, not bringing any more stability or reliability than uh, than other environments. So, you know, people are always looking for that that shiny new thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that that there, there's that side of it. So they're asking about you know a- AI and machine learning, but do they really understand their KPIs? Do <laughs> are they really even right. looking at all the major key performance indicators that they should be? Um, and I actually, I, I wonder on that one, what um, I, we've talked a little bit about lifetime value of a customer, uh, conversion rates, where do you see some of the best measurement? Um, what, what do you often see overlooked? Anything that we haven't touched on? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. nowadays there's a big shift in, especially e-commerce to go into the um, continuity, right? Subscription, MRR. any, any, yeah. any sort of product that comes monthly, right? So that they've got that lockdown. So a lot of clients come to us asking for a metric that we don't build. <laughs> they want to know um, their average, average subscription, term. no, a- average subscription length. Subscription length, that's right. Yeah. yeah. They want to know uh, how long are people staying on? Yeah. So our next question is why? What are you going to do with that information? It's nice to have, definitely. It, it helps. I want to know. If you're trying to get bought out or acquired, it's a wonderful number to know because you know that that can help get you multipliers and and do mm-hmm. nice things for you. Um, you know, having come from a, a digital agency that that was uh, acquired, um, I can say that, that that's certainly important. But for your average e-commerce merchant, uh, you know, I, I'm with you that um, you know at the end of the day that yes, that that's interesting data. But how are you going to use it? Yeah. yeah, it doesn't so have as much challenge. impact as this well, one we want to talk about. Yeah, and so what we do is we just challenge and say, you know, if if you want to know, so here's here's what they're really saying. They're asking, they're asking, hey, what is my average subscription length? How long are people on average staying with me? But they're what they're really trying to know is how can I increase that, right? And where how it, you know, what's impacting people canceling and what's impacting people staying longer? That's their real question. Because they don't want to know what it is right, right now. They want to know how to get it better. No matter who you are, no matter how good you're doing, the question will always be, how do we increase that? So what we do is we reverse engineer and say, okay, so one of the biggest impacts of the average is going to be when and why and how people cancel, right? Mm-hmm. So then what we can do is we can create a cohort, which is simply a group of data that is based on the number of days since the client started their subscription until they ended up canceling. So if you think about this, um, instead of a static number saying, hey, my average customer stays on 250 days. Well, that means there's been customers that stayed on 500 and people who canceled at day zero. So if I can instead show you here's 500 days and here is now a stacked chart of when people actually canceled, that shows you something very, very different. Because now I can see, hey, look, if there's a huge bell curve between days three and seven, right? Where and, and most of our clients, that's where the spike mm-hmm. is. Between day, between days three and seven, they get 18% of their cancellations between that range. They get an additional 20% of their cancellations on day zero. 
right? So now if I know that versus I know that my average subscription length is 250, well, wouldn't I be able to take action to look at the clients that are canceling between days three and seven and say, okay, what can I do to implement an indoctrination series? What can I do to reach out to these people? What can I, what videos can I send? What, what email threads, what uh, retargeting? Pick up the phone, do we send piggyback offers? Or is there, is there an offer or is there an email or something that's making people angry or confusing them or scary? You know, is there, what is that reason? And then they can dig in specifically. Whereas if it was just the average, they would maybe just put an autoresponder or send an offer to that person at day 250, at day 250 just to, oh, let's see if we can get them to stay on a little bit longer. That's an action, but it's not an impactful one. It's not going to have the impact because on day 250, it's only accounting for, you know, maybe half a percent of sales or a 10th of, of a percent of, of cancellations happening on that day. So you're not going to have big impact by knowing that day. Instead, we want to know this other big metric. Right. And so it's the same. So we're answering the questions so that they can increase their average. Right. And then they do want to know the average. So that's the benchmark and they can see, Hey, by, by reducing cancellations, I'll be able to see that average go up over time, which is helpful. Um, but we want to see average trended out over time, not just a static number. Here's our average now. Right. So it's just a little bit of a challenge, um, of the, of the normalcy that people have in their, in, in what they're asking of their metrics. Um, so I say data stick cancellation is a huge one. Another one AJ brought up is the is the is a cohort breaking down um, churn. You know, when it comes to subscriptions or you know membership products, it is looking at each month because in in the world today, everything changes so quickly, and so our marketing efforts are constantly in flux and, and adjusting. And so a person who bought from us today did not have the same experience as one who bought from us two months ago. So time is a huge variable and a huge factor within subscriptions because the people who signed up in May had a very different subscription journey than the ones who signed up in August. So let's compare them. So we break it down and show these cohorts of when people sign up for their, their subscriptions and then show their churn at 15, 30, 60, 90 days in comparison to each other. So that we're not taking an average of all of your customers who's ever signed up for a subscription and seeing what the average turn rate is at day 60. We're saying specifically over time at, you know, each month, are we getting better with these new clients that are coming on board? Are we keeping them 60 days? Are we keeping them? Are we keeping more of them at 60 days than we did last month? And that allows people to really take action to make these micro adjustments over time that have a huge impact to the organization and to the overall success of the company. And I'll add on there, if the tracking is dialed in, you can track that back to sources. You can oh, track, sure. track it back to people who are coming from Facebook uh, actually aren't as good as the ones coming from Instagram or, or affiliates or whatever that may be. That having that granularity is that, that next level of power to be able to continue to predict as opposed to just look historically. Yeah, and and on that note, I mean, every metric that we've talked about up to this point on this podcast, yeah. every single one of them can have that attribution yeah. model built in. So think about your lifetime value of your customers. If you knew and you could toggle on and off and see, hey, when they came through this first and they clicked this last, this is what their LTV was. But yeah. when they came through this first and this last, ooh, their LTV was totally different. Or by product. Yeah. Or by product. What did you purchase first? You know, whether it's average order value or, uh, you know, just put out an interesting, you know, article on that for the Magento community. 
it, there's so much that you can be doing to impact, but I, I'm with you that if you're not tracking it in an, in a meaningful way, look, you know, you talk subscriptions. I've seen sites where the subscription products fizzle out because it's too hard to update your credit card and people yes. get frustrated oh, yeah. and yeah. they don't feel confident in the store that they're, uh, that they're purchasing from and they, they move on, you know, they, they can't update, so they cancel. Uh, and that's the end of that. It's funny, but if, if you don't take time to identify what's happening and sometimes you have to do your own user testing, sometimes you have to reach out and follow up Surveys. and understand. Yeah. yeah. You know, exit, go to exit interview. Mm -hmm. exactly. um, yeah. You need to figure so out horrible. what's going on and when and, and work with it. So really, really interesting. Um, yeah, it's been really a pleasure chatting with both of you, Megan, AJ. This has been a lot of fun. I think we could <laughs> keep this rolling for a while. Oh, we could talk all day. We hopefully uh, made it fun. I know that you're not behind your normal uh, podcasting desk, so uh, I, I think that uh, if I remember correctly, you're on uh, on a bit of a travel excursion at the moment, so I wouldn't keep you too, uh, too much more. But uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to share? I think I think the big thing is, you know, this this whole company demographic right now is about to shift. Like the whole data landscape is really really shifting right now. And so if if you could do just one thing to help your company be more mature with your data right now, do it. We don't want this to seem like it's so complex that you can't take any sort of action right now. And so that's why, that's why the data maturity spectrum exists um, is because at each stage, there is one thing that you can do. You know, you can start by just going and making sure that Google Analytics is set up to track as much as possible. You've got custom goals, you've got event tracking, you've got enhanced e-commerce set up, and you've got these things predefined. Or that you've got UTMs that are in an organized you know, manner that have a hierarchy. Yeah, we didn't really define that a little yeah, bit earlier, but... but UTMs, we could go and dig in that. We've got stuff on our website to train people. But that's a that's a big thing that you could do right now that has like zero cost, almost no barrier to entry. It's just a little bit of time and it will help you exponentially. Or if you're already past that, the one thing that you could do is go and, and automate your current reporting so that you're not wasting human time and throwing in human error into your reporting, right? If you already have that, then the next thing is, right? At each stage of this maturity, there are minor changes that you have that you can do in order to advance the company. But every time you do it, you're giving yourself a leg up because if you're doing it, your competitors probably aren't. Like this is still big data is still scary to most business owners, and they still say, "Oh, it's for enterprise. Yep. It's only for enterprise." So if you can do this now, it's it will separate you so much that you won't even be in the same playing field. It is time to invest in your data. And, and we like to say this now as well. Every company is in the data business, whether you, not, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you're already in the data business. So you might as well start investing in that, whatever time, energy, and money you can. It doesn't have to be big data. It just has to be those small steps. And some of the things are very, very simple tweaks. Like you mentioned, Robert, earlier, it was just like, there's some free tools out there that take minutes, if you know what you're doing, to get it set up the right way that can just lead to those exponential results later on. Yeah. And, and even just meeting with like, and that's something that we haven't talked about, but we could do like a metrics mapping or just, you know, kind of a roadmap. Like, Hey, here's the roadmap. Here's the checklist of things you should probably do over the next, 
you know, I don't know, two, five, 10 years or six months, one year, two years, and just map that out and say, okay, so do it at your own pace. But here's the things that probably need to happen. That way you're making consistent progress, right? Yeah. And we're, we're here to help. We, we love to answer questions. Our team's here to help. And getting a clear data roadmap, that's like basically the first step. Figuring out, hey, where am I on this data maturity? And what do I do first? That's, mm-hmm. that's what we can help with. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm realizing we haven't even talked about some of the advanced analytics tools and paid tools that are out there that, that your team might appreciate. Might have to ask for a follow up on that in the future. Maybe we'll get a blog post out of you. Part two. There you part go. Two yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. So uh, really, really thank you so much for joining today. And uh, for our listeners, th- thanks for tuning in for an episode of the Jet Rails podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to comment and uh, uh, share your thoughts through social media and, and directly with us here at JetRails. Thanks. And thanks, thanks so much, Robert. Appreciate it.